Thank you, Derek. A long reading, but um, I thought it was really helpful that we had the whole passage because this morning we're going to look at the big picture of the passage rather than going to every little detail. So right at the beginning, let me say, you'll probably have lots of questions that aren't answered in this sermon this morning, but please do come and ask those questions uh, after the service or another point. But it's really important that we see the whole picture of chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you for the way that you've gifted us here. Thank you for the way that you gift your people. And we pray, Lord, that we will use our gifts uh, for the good of one another. Help us this morning as we hear these words, as we look through this chapter, to put into practice what you say to us this morning. Or speaking about church, about the gathered uh, public worship service. And his major point throughout these chapters uh, has been to remember uh, and remind the people that the church is about gathering together. It's being aware that we don't come as individuals, but we come to gather together as God's people. Church is not ultimately a personal experience. We gather for the purpose of building up one another. And Paul wants the, the Corinthians to be reminded of that and to put that into practice. They'd been gifted uh, greatly, as we've seen uh, so often in Corinthians. Uh, they, and these gifts that were given were to be used for the common good, as we saw in chapter 12. Yet the problem with the Corinthian church was that they were so self-centered. It was all about me, all about my gift and the opportunity for me to exercise that gift. They looked like a really spiritual church. Yet Paul says, as we saw last week, you can have the most wonderful gifts, even uh, being able to speak in the tongues of angels. And if you exercise your gifts without love, you are nothing. Because the point that Paul has been making and continues to make in chapter 14 is that we've been given these gifts not for ourselves, but for the building up of God's people. He wants them to desire the most excellent way. That is the way of love. Because, as we saw last week, love, without love, these gifts are nothing. They needed to pursue love. And that's how Paul begins as he ties chapter 14 with chapter 13. That follow the way of love. Pursue love. Chase after it with intensity. That is what Paul wants them to do. Above any spiritual gift should be the pursuit of love. That is the most excellent way. That alongside hope and faith, as we saw last week. The Corinthians were gathering together, but they were gathering without love. And so Paul uh, pleads with them, pursue love. Paul picks it up 
in chapter 14 by choosing two gifts out of the lists of gifts that he mentioned in chapter 12. He picks out um, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And he probably chooses those two because gifts uh, seems to be one of those gifts that was highly sought within the Corinthian church. Paul wants them, verse 1, to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And they seem to be desiring gifts of the Spirit. But he wants them to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Why? Because as we'll see in a moment, the gift of prophecy does something that the gifts of tongues couldn't. But before we go any further into the passage, I think it's really helpful that we try and define what we're talking about here and what Paul is talking about. There, is, there has been so much written about what is the gift of tongues, what is the gift of prophecy. Uh, and I think it's because we can't be 100% sure what Paul is talking about. He's writing specifically to the church of Corinthians with a specific problem. They knew what he was talking about, but Paul doesn't define, <coughs> excuse me, Paul doesn't define what these gifts are. So in one sense, we need to make an educated guess about what Paul uh, is talking about. So what is the gift of tongues? Tongues is mentioned in two books of the Bible, in the Acts of the Apostles and here in 1 Corinthians. And in Acts chapter 2, uh, they speak in tongues. And what were those tongues? They were known languages. People from the nations were gathered and they heard the good news in their own language. Tongues, uh, glossa, which is the Greek uh, word, means languages. That's what it means. That's what we see in Acts and we see at other points as well in the Acts of the Apostles that when somebody speaks in tongues, it is speaking a known language. So I think we should be cautious to say that the gift of tongues in Corinthians is something different. We see in verse 10 and verse 21 uh, of chapter 14, those verses speak of languages of the world, known languages. So I think we need to be careful. Some would say that the gift of tongues is, is some sort of heavenly language. It's an ecstatic utterance. It's something that only God understands. But as I say, I, I don't think we can be 100% sure what Paul is, is talking about here in Corinthians. Uh, but I tend to lean towards caution and, uh, and stick with these were known languages that were being uh, used. So what about the gift of prophecy? Well, in the Old Testament, there are prophets and they spoke the word of God. They were the mouthpiece of God. Thus says the Lord. The role of prophet seems uh, to be taken over or replaced by the apostles in the New Testament. They become the ones uh, who are sent by Christ and when they speak it is as if Christ himself is speaking. But it seems like New Testament prophecy is something different. It doesn't seem to be on the same level as Old Testament prophecy or the apostles. It doesn't seem to be on the same level as Scripture 
Uh, because later on in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, Paul says, if anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. So the apostle speaks with that authority of Christ, whereas a prophet uh, doesn't. Some would say that prophecy is preaching. I, I think it's different. Uh, and I don't think it's an inspired word of God that somebody sort of plucks out the air and gives uh, to another person. I think it could be something uh, like bringing uh, God's word, the Bible, to bear on a particular person's circumstance in a way that is helpful for them. So for example, we might be speaking to somebody who is questioning what happens when they die. When I die, is that the end? Am I done? Am I gone and that's it? Well, the Christian, the believer, would have in mind Hebrews 9, 27, where it says, just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment. And so the believer can speak into that situation with the word of God. Speak about the future for that person. Because... That's what the Bible tells us. And we can bring that gospel hope then to that person's life. I wonder if the gift of prophecy is about being so saturated in the word of God, in the scriptures, that we're able to then speak into people's circumstances that word of God. Whatever it meant, Paul wants them to eagerly desire prophecy. Why? And this is the principle of the passage. So whatever it meant in one sense, doesn't matter. It does matter, but it doesn't because the principle still stands. And this is the principle. He wants them to eagerly desire prophecy because prophecy builds up the church. The NLT, as Derek read, uses the word strengthened. That word strengthen is to build up. And that's what prophecy does. And that's why Paul wants them to eagerly desire that gift. So verse 12, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. That is the point of the whole passage. That is the principle that Paul wants the church to hear. Excel in the gifts that build up the church. Paul says tongues doesn't do that. He says tongues, verse 2, speak to God. They speak to God because nobody around them understands what's being said. As they speak these tongues, it's all mystery to the people around. Tongues doesn't build up others, it only builds up self, verse 4. Verse 14, it doesn't engage the mind in a fruitful way. Verse 7 and 8, they're unintelligible, like baby babble. You don't know what is, nobody knows what's being said. In verse 11, I, I'm, I'm a foreigner because I have no idea what's going on. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that and somebody's speaking a different language and you're stood there, yeah. No idea what you're saying, yeah. That's what it's like. They had no idea what was being said. And Paul says tongues... It doesn't build up 
as prophecy does. Verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Prophecy builds up the church. It strengthens people in their faith. It encourages people. It brings comfort to God's people. I wonder if you noticed that as Derek read at chapter 14, the repetitive strengthen, strengthen, strengthens. Prophecy is the greater gift. It is the better gift. It seems uh, that there's chaos in the church services at Corinth. It seems that everyone's speaking in a tongue, whether they had that gift or not. And so Paul wants them uh, to consider others. He says the church gathering, the church service should be orderly. It should be conducted in an orderly fashion. And he says if you're speaking in tongues and that tongue isn't translated, then stop because it's unhelpful for those gathered. Some might say in the Corinthian church, well, Paul, I can't help it. I've been given this gift by the Spirit and I can do nothing about it. I can't control it. I have no control over this gift. And so Paul counters that in verse 32. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. You can watch every church in the world these days on YouTube, on the internet. And there are some where it seems like it's chaos. Tongues all over the place. But that is so far removed from what Paul is saying here. He's saying the church service should be orderly. And our gifts should be used not for ourselves or not for, uh, for the impression that we are super spiritual but for the building up of God's people. How can anyone be growing in love? How can anyone be built up when there is such chaos going on in the church? God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So the church must be orderly and our gifts must be used for the building up of others. But as we do that, it's, it is a witness to the unbeliever, to those unbelievers. If the whole church comes together, Paul says, and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. We should eagerly desire gifts. We should excel in gifts that build up the church out of love, as Paul has talked about in chapter 13. And as we do that, as we conduct our services in an orderly fashion, we will see unbelievers convicted of sin. We'll see them uh, see their need of a saviour, we'll see them repent and bow down to Jesus. The gifts are given for the benefit of the church, for the building up of the church, for its strengthening, and also to reveal Christ 
and the holiness of God to the world, to the unbeliever. So let me ask again, why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? We gather together, we come to church, we give up our Sunday mornings so that we can pursue love. 2 Peter uh, 1 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the evidence of faith? It is that we grow in love. That we grow in love for one another. We'll grow in our love for God and for others. And our faith will grow as we do it. So we can't grow in love unless we gather together. How can you love your brother and sister in Christ if we're not together? We need to gather so that we can love, so that we can grow in love. One of the great blessings of the pandemic has been our ability, thanks to some gifted tech people, to be able to live stream our services. And that has been a such blessing. Wasn't that a blessing as we began the lockdown those two years ago and we could still connect in that way? It was such a blessing. And it continues to be a blessing for those people who are physically unable to be with us. However much they would love to be with us, they just can't. But to be able to drop in on the live stream, they still feel that connection. But on the other side, and it's true for many churches, that because of the pandemic and the ease of being able to turn on the TV and drop into YouTube, people have given up meeting together. They've given up at, and are missing out on the importance of gathering as a church. Because if we don't gather, we can't grow in our love for one another. We can't use the gifts that God has given us to build up the church. So we must encourage those that we know, our brothers and sisters, to join us on a Sunday morning as we gather. Because we want to grow in our love. Our love for one another, our love for God. And we can only do that when we meet together. Why do you come to church? We gather so that we can love one another, so that we can use our gifts, whatever our gifts are, whatever the gifts God has given us, so that we can build one another up. That is why we meet, so that we can encourage each other to grow in our faith, in our trust of Christ, so that we can grow in our faith, our hope, and our love. That is the whole point of this passage of chapter 14. We may have had a horrendous week. Our faith may be rocked and it may be shaken. And so we drag ourselves to church as much as we don't want to. And as we stand and as we see and hear people sing, our faith is strengthened 
Because we see our brothers and sisters who believe and trust in Christ, singing and encouraging one another, and that lifts us up. It builds our faith. We speak to somebody after the service, after this horrendous week that we've had, and they encourage us with something, and that builds us up in our faith. We hear the word of God, we listen to the prayers and join in with them, and our faith is built up. Are we doing that as we gather each week? Are we actively seeking to build one another up as we meet? Do we come with that intention on a Sunday morning that as I walk through that door, this is my opportunity to build somebody up in their faith out of love for them? Have you done that today? If not, there is still time to do that. But let me encourage you as well that I know that it does happen in this church. People are built up and strengthened in the faith. So let's hear what God says to us this morning to not neglect this important work of loving one another, building one another up for his glory. Let us excel in the gifts that build up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as your people so that we can love one another, that we can build one another up in the faith. We pray this morning that we'll be active in doing that. And as we leave this place this morning, that our faith and our trust in you will be strengthened and built up. Help us to do that, Lord, more and more for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.